0: be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God as we find it written in the gospel according to St. John, reading there in the 21st chapter from the 15th to the 19th verse as follows. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. In Christ Jesus, our risen Lord, dear friends, you who are here in God's house this morning, and you also Christian friends, who are worshiping with us by means of the radio. Last Sunday, as all of us know, we celebrated Easter, did we not? We celebrated that day that commemorated the anniversary of Christ rising again from the grave even as he said he would. And you recall that last Sunday we looked at this risen Christ, the one that came back from the grave as he had said that he would, and we saw that he is really the indispensable Christ. He is the Christ that you and I must have, that having him we have everything, and lacking him we lack everything. Well, on Easter Sunday, Jesus made some appearances. He appeared to Mary Magdalene, you remember. He appeared to the women. Then on Easter afternoon, He appeared to Peter in private. Then came the appearances to the two men on the way to Emmaus. And you recall, then on Easter Sunday night, He appeared to the disciples behind locked doors, and Thomas was not there on the following Sunday night he again appeared to the disciples and Thomas was there. Now our text talks about the third appearance that Jesus made to the disciples. The one was on Easter Sunday night, the next was on the following Sunday night, and this third appearance took place up on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. It was not down in Jerusalem, but in the meantime the disciples had gone from Jerusalem. They had traveled about a hundred miles, and they were up at the Sea of Galilee. If we were to guess, we would say it must have been about three weeks after Easter. You recall that on the day of Christ's resurrection that the angel told the women to go and tell Peter and his disciples that he will meet you in Galilee evidently Peter was anxious to get up into Galilee for this meeting with his Lord We are told that seven of the apostles were there, five of them are named. We are told that Peter was there, we are told that Thomas was there, that Nathaniel or Bartholomew, as we like to call him, was there. James and John and the other two are not named. There were seven of them up in Galilee, about a hundred miles away from Jerusalem, about three weeks after the resurrection. And then we are told that as they were there, it was evening and the Apostle Peter said, I'm going fishing. And the other men said, we're going along with you. So they got into a boat, they rowed out into the Sea of Galilee and they were fishing and they fished all night and they didn't catch a thing. And then as morning began to break, these seven men in the boat noticed that there was a man standing on the shore, but they could not see who it was. But it was Jesus, the risen Lord, making an appearance to them, but they didn't know it. And as they looked, the man on the shore said, Men, have you caught any fish? And they said, No. And then the man said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat. Evidently, they had had the net on the left side, and they took their net and put it on the right side. And when they did, there was a miraculous draw of fishes. They couldn't even draw the net up. And then it was that John, the beloved disciple, said to Peter, "I know who that is on the shore. That's the Lord." And just as soon as he said it, Peter put on the coat that he had taken off and he put the belt around his waist and he got into the water and he started to go to the shore. The rest followed. They were not too far away. We are told only about a thousand yards. And as they walked up on the shore, lo and behold, they saw some burning embers, some burning coals, and there was fish on the fire and there was bread. And then as they brought again the fish to the shore, Jesus says, bring me some of the fish that you have caught. And that was put on the fire. And we are told that not one of the seven would dare ask who is this speaking to us, that they knew that it was the risen Christ. And so on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, early one morning, about three weeks after Easter, if we were to guess, here there was breakfast with the risen Lord. And then after they had eaten came the incident of our text. Jesus turned to Simon Peter. To understand this incident we must know this, that when Jesus appeared to Simon Peter on Easter Sunday afternoon, while we are not told in the Word of God what went on there, you and I can very well assume what happened, that it was then that Jesus forgave him for his defection, that he had denied him. But there was still one thing that had to be settled. Was Peter to be reinstated into the Apostolate? Was he fit to continue to be a minister of Jesus Christ? He was forgiven, but would the other men accept him? He who had so boldly denied his Lord on the night of the betrayal. That remained to be done and so you can well imagine that Peter was very anxious for this meeting in Galilee and there beside the other six men, uh, Jesus turned to him and he said, Simon, son of John, lovest thou me more than these love me? Oh, it brought back to Peter what he had said in the upper room that night when he had bragged about his love for Jesus and he said the wall of them would forsake him. He'd never forsake him. And it was that night, remember, that Jesus said, you will deny me three times before the rooster crows twice. And Peter didn't believe it, but he had gone out and he had miserably denied thee the ever-known Jesus. And so Jesus comes to him and said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he could only hold his head down and he looked and he said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus said to him, Simon, feed my lambs. Here came the word of reinstatement. Here was the reinstatement of Peter. Peter, I still want you as one of my ministers. I still want you as one of my shepherds. When he told him, you go feed the lambs, There was the signal, you are to continue as one of the twelve, that there would be no question. And then he turned to him the second time, and he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you love me as your Lord? Not more than these, but do you love me? And then again, with his head down in humility, Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus said, feed the sheep, feed my sheep. And then the third time Jesus turned to him on the shore of Galilee that morning, he said, Simon, son of John, Do you love me? And it hurt him and it grieved him so much that Jesus would ask him the same question three times. And then he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And then Jesus came back a third time, feed my sheep. The thing that we are interested in, in those words of reinstatement to Peter, when Jesus assured him that he was still one of the twelve and that he wanted him to be one of the twelve, three times Jesus said to him, feed Feed, feed. In other words, the word feed means to teach. Teach the lambs, teach the children, the young people. Feed the sheep, feed the adults. Feed the sheep, feed the flock. That's the interest this morning. Do you notice that the risen Christ had as his chief concern when he reinstated Peter that Peter should go out and he should teach, that he should instruct, that he should nourish in the word of God. And as you and I stand this morning in spirit on the Sea of Galilee, and we hear those words from the risen Jesus, let us realize that the chief and the foremost and the prime concern in the living Christ for ministers is this, for shepherds, that they shall feed, feed, feed the flock, that they shall teach the flock. You and I may say, well, this thing of teaching, does it do any good? You know, sometimes we get a miserable idea about teaching the Word of God because preaching is just simply teaching the Word of God. This thing of feeding the flock, feeding the lambs and feeding the sheep, We may say to ourselves, what good does it do? We may say, oh, it's nice to come to church on Sunday and to hear the minister preach the chief. But after all, isn't it a frustrating thing? Does it accomplish anything? Are there any results that come with teaching, with feeding? Evidently, the risen Christ, when he made it the chief concern, when he reinstated Peter, evidently jesus had the conviction that it was of prime importance that the flock be fed that the flock be taught that young and old be fed the word of god or he would not have reinstated peter with those words we may put a low estimate on teaching we may say it doesn't do much good but today in god's house let's see If the risen Christ made it of prime importance that the flock be fed and that that be the task of the shepherd above all and the minister and the ambassador of Jesus Christ, then we ought to say to ourselves, what good does it do to teach the word of God? Does it accomplish anything? Oh, this low estimate. Is it love's labor's lost? Does it mean that all shepherds of Jesus Christ are only frustrated individuals, only there to entertain and to amuse and not to teach? Does it do any good? Well, in the first place, let's realize this, it must do a tremendous amount of good because through the teaching of the Word of God, the Holy Spirit brings us to a conviction of sin anybody within the sound of my voice have a conviction of sin? Do you believe that you are guilty of having broken God's law? Is there anyone who stands in the conviction that because he is guilty of having broken God's law, that he stands condemned before the sight of a just God? Is there anyone within the sound of my voice who says, I deserve to be banished from the presence of a just God? Because I have deliberately violated his law, and I have broken his word. Would to God that there are many of us under a conviction of sin, but where did it come from? It came from being taught, from being fed the word of God. Because there's something about the word of God that isn't true about any other word. Jesus one day put it this way, he said, my word is spirit, and my word is life. He meant by that, my word is spirit, the Holy Spirit works through the word of God. And therefore, even though shepherds who are sinners shall bring it, and even though the pastor shall feed the flock, nevertheless, that word of God has the Holy Spirit, God himself, the third person of the Trinity, who comes to man through that word, bringing man to a conviction of sin. Were it not for the teaching of the Word of God, were it not for the fact that the very shepherd shall feed the flock, how many of us would stand with a conviction of sin and be filled with sorrow and thus, how many of us would also have a crying need within ourselves to be delivered from sin? How many of us this morning can say with Paul, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death when we realize how hopeless it is to be our own savior and that because we are lost and condemned that we need help where did that craving come from? Within you and me that we shall crave again a way out and have somebody as a savior. If you and I can stand today with a conviction of sin and we can stand again realizing what sin means and that we are hopeless and therefore we must cry out to be delivered Bear in mind, it came from teaching. It came from being instructed in the Word of God. It came from being fed the Word of God. Without being fed the Word of God, without the shepherd feeding the flock and feeding the lambs and the sheep, there would be no one under conviction. There would be no one so crying out to be delivered, crying out for help and for the Savior. And that's why today, as we stand again on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and we hear the words that Jesus, the living Christ, spoke to Peter in the presence of the other disciples, Feed, feed, feed. That was the chief concern of the risen Christ. Then ought it not be the chief concern of your life and mine, especially in our homes? Do you and I love Jesus Christ enough that we say to ourselves the prime purpose in the home, the real thing that we must do, we must feed, and above all, we must feed the lambs. Do we love him? Oh, it was a sad experience for Peter to be sure when Jesus said to him three times, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me as the Christ? And when Peter answered, he used another word for love. He said, yes, Lord, you know I like you. He was even afraid to say, I love you. And Jesus, the second time, said, do you love me at all, Simon Peter? And Peter answered, Lord, you know that I like you. And finally, Jesus said to him, Simon Peter, do you like me? Do you just even like me? And that's when he was grieved. And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know I like you. He never used the Agapon word for love once. How many of us love him enough? That we can say to ourselves, this is the prime thing. This is the main thing in our homes. I was just reading what J. Edgar Hoover has to say about 1964. Oh, again, not to excite us, but he said in 1964, you can expect this. You can expect a 20% rise this year in forced rates in our country. Think of it, 20%. He says you can expect a great increase in sexual crimes in our country this year. And then he says you can also expect a tremendous rise in child molestations by introverted and sex-perverted adults. It isn't a very nice picture, is it? But if the risen Christ said, this is the thing, feed, feed, feed. Then you and I love him enough that we might bring him into our own homes and stem the tide as regards our children. Oh, we put such a low estimate, do we not, on this thing of teaching. And we say, what good does it do? And we say, oh, what are the results? It it doesn't do any good. Oh, you may amuse and it may entertain and it may again edify. But what good does it do? But nevertheless, when the risen Christ reinstated Peter into the apostolate, He said, feed, feed, feed the flock. Does it do any good? It must, because in the second place, know this, that through the teaching of the Word of God, the Holy Spirit brings us to a living faith in Jesus Christ. Anybody here in church this morning or on the radio who has a living faith in Jesus Christ? anybody here who said he is my lord and my savior that i put my trust in him for the forgiveness of sins that i know that in him and his shed blood that i know that i am a saved soul if so would you get it again you may say i got it when i was baptized as a child but nevertheless you would have lost it had you not been fed somewhere along the line you were fed somewhere along the line you were taught you were instructed the word of god And when ambassadors and shepherds of Jesus Christ are to rightly divide the word of truth, they not only preach the law by which there is the knowledge of sin, but they preach the glorious gospel, the good news. They tell the story that again, God's Son came out of the ivory palaces into this world of sin. He was none other than God the Son from Everlasting, God himself. And born of the Virgin Mary, he took unto himself a human body and a human soul without sin. And he as the God-man went to Calvary's cross, and there on the cross on Good Friday, he bore the guilt and the punishment of the world's sin. And on Easter he raised himself from the dead, assuring that God had accepted his sacrifice and that in him and his shed blood. There is life and salvation for all men. And when that word is preached, even though by sinful shepherds and the flock is taught, the Holy Spirit that works through that word of God brings men to a living trust in Jesus. It is the gift of the Holy Spirit if you and I have come to trust him. And therefore it does do something without the preaching of the word of God. How shall they believe in him, Paul says, of whom they haven't heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And that means that when we have been brought to a living faith through the Word of God, in Christ as our Savior, that in Him we have the forgiveness of sins, we are delivered from hell and eternal life is ours. We talk about a saved soul, what do we mean? A saved soul is one that has the peace of forgiveness. He knows that in Christ Jesus his sins are forgiven, that God has blotted out the memory of his sins forever. He knows that the peace of God is his. The terror of hell is gone because he knows Christ bore the equal of an eternity in hell for him. The joy of heaven is his because he knows the righteousness of Jesus Christ that he earned on the cross is big enough even to save him. And yet, isn't it strange when we talk about teaching, when we talk about feeding, we say, what good does it do? We put such a low estimate on it, and yet, upon the very shore of the Sea of Galilee, when the risen Christ reinstated Peter, the very prime important thing was this, Peter, go out and feed the flock, feed the lamb, feed the sheep if that was the great concern of Jesus, ought it not be your concern and mine in your home and mine, while it is still possible. How many of us cry out today and say, it seems to be too late? How many of us say, what do you do? When you've got an 18-year-old daughter that says, I won't do what you tell me to do, I'm 18 and I'll live my life as I please. And I'll do as I please and I will act as I please. What do you do? What do you do when you have a son that looks at you and says, I don't care what you say, I'm 18, I'm 21. I'll live my own life, I'll do as I please and it's none of your business. What do you do? What do you do? Oh, you don't use your fists. I would warn you, and I have. Don't do it. Because one father thought that was the answer, and he prided himself in his physical ability. But when he looked at his son, he landed under the table when he woke up. You better watch out, bud. That son may be a lot stronger than you think. What do you do? Is it beyond the realm? that if you and I have failed at home and our kids hate us and we hate them is it beyond the realm of Christian possibility to get together and to apologize and to ask for forgiveness think of what Peter went through here was the draw the fishes that morning three years ago he was up on the same sea and there was a miraculous draw the fishes The nets break that time and Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. That's when he was called to the apostle. And here again another miraculous rod. And here he was out because he had defected the ranks. Then he walked up to the shore and here again were coals burning. Don't you think it reminded him that when he was in the courtyard of Caiaphas, there were coals of fire that he had warmed his hands on the night when he betrayed. Was it too late? And yet Jesus reinstated him. I knew a Columbus policeman very well. He was as hard as Taxi, looked like Jack Dempsey, the Manassas Mall, and he was as hard as Jack Dempsey ever thought of being. He could curse like nobody else could curse. It was, again, to stand. It was blasphemy from one end to the other. It was a man that never got along with his son. The home was a hell on earth. He had the red light district in Columbus, one of them, And he told me as he told me a story that he would walk the beat and at a certain time during the night he met the policeman on the adjoining beat and they would talk. The other policeman happened to be a Christian. But the policeman that I'm talking about, when the other man talked to him about Christ, he laughed and he ridiculed him and he thought it was the craziest thing that ever happened. Followed it up with cursings and blasphemy. He was hard. He was hard. And then there came a scrape one night and his buddy policeman was killed. Well, then this hard-hearted policeman began to say to himself, "Who's I had been killed. What about me? What would have happened?' And then he began to think about it, and he went on home. And he had a son that hated him. And a wife was said, "'What kind of a home is this?' But he had the courage to sit down and to say, "'I failed, but we can start.'" And he started to go to church, and he came out to the seminary. And he wanted to take some religious courses. He used to study up in my room, and one day he said to me, Hounson, would you come over to my house Friday night, to have Friday night and have supper with us? And I said, I'd be glad to, and I'll never forget that meal. I sat down and looked at me and he said, would you ask the blessing? And I said, yes. When I was finished, he looked at me and he says, I never thought the day had ever come that anybody would say grace in this house. And his wife looked at me and the boy and they said, y- you can't imagine what this place was like. This was hell. Now that Christ has come into this home, when again there were three people that had learned to love one another. Maybe it's hell in your house. Sometimes we wonder when we come to church, we wonder what's wrong with teaching. God forbid that any shepherd should ever stand in the pulpit and not teach, and it's a tremendous job. But let me tell you, no shepherd can do it alone. If things aren't right in your house and mine, It isn't going to do much good when you come here. Teaching is a tremendous thing. It taxes a man to the nth degree. Oh, if you've never done it, you don't know. This afternoon, if you want to do something, take 14 sheets of eight and a half by 11 paper, and write on the top three words, feed, feed, feed. And then sit down and fill 14 pages of what you want to teach on that, and don't repeat the sermon. Let it come from you. Then when you've got it down, be sure it's up here that you don't have to read it. Then you may begin to understand what teaching means. Oh, it's more than just edifying. It's more than making people feel good. It is to tell them something, to instruct them. Then you begin to understand what it means sometime to be up at 2.30 when you're asleep, or 3 o'clock to write down an idea before it fails you. Then you know what it means to lose a night's sleep, to teach. It's tremendous. But no teaching from any shepherd is ever going to do any good unless things are right in your house and things are right in mine. To depreciate and to put a low estimate on preaching, on teaching, let's realize the risen Christ, when he reinstated Peter to the apostolate, he said, feed, feed, feed. Why? because it is of tremendous importance. Does it do any good? Oh, it not only because the Holy Spirit works through it, brings men to a conviction of sin and to a need of a Savior, it not only brings us to a living faith in Christ and to forgiveness, life, and salvation, but through the Word of God, the Holy Spirit causes you and me to grow, to grow in our Christian life. Today I announce this Quasimodogenity Sunday. And you may say, what in the world does Quasimodogenity mean? Well, it's the Latin for something that Peter had written. It means as newborn babes. This is the Apostle Peter Sunday. He wrote later, think of it, the man that was to go out and feed who had been reinstated. He wrote Quasimodogenity as newborn babes. He said to the Christian, desire long for the milk of the word. Be fed, he said that's why it's called this sunday because we've got to grow wouldn't it be horrible if we didn't grow physically yet isn't it strange that some of us think nothing of it if we do not grow spiritually when the word of god is taught and when it is preached and when it is proclaimed and we are fed the holy spirit again causes us to grow we grow in the capacity of understanding we grow again in knowing what is right and wrong the conscience becomes very very sharp, that we understand right and wrong as we never understood it. And it shows in your life and mine because we are walking with him, we have become more Christ-like. And thus again, as we grow through being fed the word of God, lambs and sheep in the entire flock, we grow strong against temptation so that we can keep our faith to the very day of our death. We've got to have it on the day of our death and the temptations of life come. Jesus told Peter, Peter, if you love me, go out and feed the lambs, feed the sheep, feed the flock, get out and teach. Does it do any good? It's the means whereby the Holy Spirit strengthens you and me that we can be faithful to the very day when we shall stand on the very day of our death before our God and if again the chief concern of Jesus Christ on that day up at the sea of Galilee when he reinstated Peter into the apostolate if the chief concern of that risen Christ was this to feed then again if that is the chief concern of our life and our home we can look forward to anything that may come in life It was a rather sad day up there as you and I stand and listen. When Jesus had reinstated him, he looked at him and he said, Peter, when you were young, he said, you girded yourself, you dressed yourself and you went wherever you wanted to go. But he said, Peter, when you become old, Peter was about 35 about that time. He said, Peter, when you become old, he said, "Uh, you're going to reach out your hands and another is going to tie you and another will take you where you don't want to go. And John, who was writing these words, he wrote about the year 19, this had already taken place. John was telling us, Jesus said this to indicate by what way he should die and glorify God. You see, Peter died a martyr's death. He lived to see the day when somebody did tie his hands and they did lead him where he didn't want to go. Oh, you remember the story when persecution had broken out, and tradition says that Peter was fleeing Rome, going down the Appian Way. Friends had told him to save his life. And as he was fleeing the city of Rome, he saw somebody coming again. He didn't quite recognize him. And as he came closer, he saw that it was the Lord. And he said to him, Quo vadis domine, whither goest thou, Lord? And Jesus supposedly said to him, I'm going back to Rome to be crucified again. And Peter this time he didn't defect. Tradition says he turned around and walked back the Appian Way and came into the city of Rome and he was crucified. This time he said, oh, don't crucify me like my Lord with my head up, crucify me upside down. And so they drove the nails into his feet up and his head down into his arms and he was crucified. So tradition says, upside down for these Lord, the man that was reinstated and the man that went out and he fed the flock and he fed them and he fed them and when you and i have been fed and faith has grown it matters not what shall come we shall have this joy that when christ shall return at the end of time you and i and our very bodies will see him face to face and he will know us and we shall know him i think of old job of old when again Job was able to say I know that my Redeemer liveth and that at the latter day he shall stand upon this earth and though after my skin worms destroy this body yet in my flesh shall I see God Job said I know my Redeemer lives and I know my body when it goes down to earth will be eaten up by worms but I know that at the last day my risen Lord's coming again and he will raise up my body from the grave And I know that in my body I shall see him. When you and I, thank God, have been taught and we have been trained and instructed and nourished, then we can look forward to the worst that the world can give. But knowing again that a faith has grown and that the Holy Spirit still operates through the Word of God, we can stand and know that when he comes again, what a joy will be ours that with our own bodies raised from the dead we shall see him because we know that our Redeemer lives. It's nice to stand every once in a while on the Sea of Galilee and to see the risen Christ as he reinstated Peter who had defected the ranks and to know where he put the emphasis he said Peter go out and feed 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 the lambs feed the sheep feed the flock. God grant you and me that we may consider the prime importance in our home because it's through being fed that you and I know him and that he shall know us at the latter day when we shall stand before him and oh God to have him know us. Amen. The peace of God which passeth all human understanding, keeping united your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting.